Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses worked your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, prom party. We're getting medieval. Good to see you, my liege. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to like, my first instinct is like, good day, governor. And I'm like, that's like 600 years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought about being really cute and being like, today we're changing our stars. And then I was like, I'm not that sentimental of a bitch. So I'll save that for later. <laughs> you were going to be all like Paul Bettany about it? naked is that what i mean i can do that it's hot as hell in here i mean if you want i can't see it so that'd be disappointing i suppose i know (laughs) you just come out of the bedroom later and i'm just sitting naked in a computer chair in the living room like a serial killer (laughs) it's fine it's or not a serial killer just anybody who's ever masturbated That's very true. That's a very good point. (laughs) Prom Party, we are talking today about a movie that, while not about a teen girl and specifically, was extremely popular with teen girls. It's one of those ones, and I'm so excited to talk about it. We are talking about A Knight's Tale, and friends, we have a guest this week. We have a Twitch streamer, the writer and director of the award-winning short film You, which you can find on Vimeo, and an executive story editor on CW's The Flash, my girl, Jess Carson. Who dat? Who dat? Who dat? (laughs) (laughs) Never heard of it. (laughs) Hi, Jess. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here, and thank you for suggesting A Knight's Tale. So, look... I have my feelings about A Night's Tale. Harmony has never seen it. Spoiler alert. So I'm curious why this movie. So when this movie came out, I believe I was either 13 or 14. I think I was 14, going on 15 maybe. And I think I've always known that like, okay, there's something about period that just really makes me happy inside. And that was a movie that I just so happened to see when I was exploring that question in my mind of like, how much do you love period? And then that movie comes out and it's like a lot. (laughs) You like it a lot, Jess. That's, that's, that's kind of your bag. So I don't know. And you know, it's kind of a weird teenager. Like a lot of us words, freaking nineties and early two thousands, let's be real. Um, And you know, I suffer from the same kind of things as like a drama kid, but a band kid, but also kind of an athlete and it's like 
where do you belong? Nowhere. And so I escaped in like media. And so, you know, it was definitely something that I ended up, it's one of the ones that was, was a movie of mine that I would watch it, then rewind it and go take a break and go to the bathroom while it was rewinding because it wasn't DVD land kids. Um, <laughs> and then I'd come back and just rewatch it all over again. So, you know, it really just came to me in a really pivotal point in my life and has really informed a lot of, of even what I do when I'm working in that genre space. I love that. And that is such a commitment too, especially as a teenager, because this is over two hours long. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, every period piece is over two hours long. <laughs> you know, that's fair. That is, <laughs> that is very true. We paid so, for the sets and the costumes. We're getting our use out of them. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm curious if you could break down a little bit, like what is it about period that draws you in so much? Because I know some people not saying necessarily someone on this podcast. No one currently uh, in the room with you. <laughs> no one no one physically <laughs> in the room with there. me uh, <laughs> does not do well with period piece. So I'm curious, what is it about it that draws you in? You know, I think the thing about period is there's something intriguing about what was there before. And in the sense of like what was there before a long time ago. You know, not the Hardys down the street that got torn down for a, a Panera. But like, <laughs> you know... Like that Hardy's down the street used to be a fucking medieval square where the last beheadings happened. That is absolutely incorrect, but you know what I mean? Anyway, but you know, so it, there's something about that. Something's always been really intriguing about what's been there before and whether or not it's completely fictional, you know, and, and just kind of based in, in that whatever time period. Um, it's just really interesting to me. It's always been interesting to me. I've been a history buff for as long as I can remember. I mean, I honestly thank my parents for that because I grew up in the South where, you know, learning black history wasn't necessarily reliable in school. And so <laughs> my parents actually would like sit us down with things like Roots and Eyes on the Prize and they would like talk us through things in the way that only parents can. And while it was great to, you know, have real education and stuff like that, it was also like, I really like learning about this stuff. This is amazing. And history has been a huge part of my life since I was like really little. So, you know, it's it's, I guess looking back, it really doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem that that far of a stretch that that period pieces are, you know, one of my top two favorite genres. Yeah, that makes complete sense, especially if you're a history buff. I mean, full disclosure, the first time I ever saw this movie was in a social studies class in junior oh. high. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> because um, that's just a thing that happened. A lot of movies that are period pieces um my first introductions were social studies class because that's what mm -hmm. you call it in junior high school. It's not history right, class right. yet. <laughs> um, so I remember watching A Knight's Tale. That's the well, first time I watched Glory. A lot of those movies oh, wow. came from the good old Illinois public school system. Yay. <laughs> but <laughs> Harmony, you're somebody who does not uh, do well with period piece. I'm curious if you could explain why it does not mix with you. Uh, okay, few reasons first of all i thought I, I had to ask bj so is this a proper period piece or is it like a kid in king arthur's court period piece where it's like oh no heath ledger got sucked in time back in time and bj goes think period piece in the way of like Boz Lerman." and i went okay i'm on board with that i i, I can be down to clown really with, with anachronistic goofy history that sounds great um no, the, th the thing is, I like history. I don't like period pieces because so many of them are, like, overwrought and dry and long and just 
so many of them are just devoid of fun. And I, I don't have the attention span for most of them. Like, I, I've gone on record and said that, like, movies that are really good that are super not my jam are things like Portrait of a Lady on Fire or uh, mm-hmm. The Witch, where I'm just like, oh, yeah. my God, it's just, it's just too much of this thing that is not my thing. But A Knight's Tale, significantly more my thing. I had a great time. Yeah. No, I mean, I get that. And here's the crazy thing. As someone who loves a genre, I almost feel even more so that way as you do. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that is, is something that annoys me. It's almost like, you know how there's like, there's like film buffs, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm a cinematique, you know, that is what those times period pieces feel like to me. (laughs) So it's like that within the genre. So like, even I don't even like those things. Like, I can sit and, and, and appreciate The Witch from like a filmmaking perspective, but if I stop and, and say, did I love this movie? Uh, no, yeah, not really. Yeah, like that's kind of <laughs> how I am for me where like factually, like analytically, I can go, this is very well done and I respect yeah. it, but do I enjoy it? Absolutely not. And <laughs> for so many yeah. of these things, especially like period piece dramas, it feels yeah. to me like the person and the people making it need to justify the budget in order to travel back in time mm-hmm. to do this. They need to justify why they bought, want to tell this story. And you can't have fun and have it be respected. No, I, I hear you 100% on that. And I agree with you 100% on that, for sure. Thank you. I appreciate that <laughs> as somebody who likes period pieces significantly more than I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I love them. As a yeah. connoisseur, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, in high school, I'm sitting there like, I want more of the Tudors. Give me that. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it, period pieces are my jam. But, you know, by default, the thing, the thing about the Tudors is the fact that they took this very... Yeah, scandalous dude, absolutely. But like, they did it in a way that I mean, a lot of this stuff happened, you know, in a way that was, you know, the truth wasn't necessary. I mean, you know, like Catherine Aragon was 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 you know re- significantly older than Henry, and they didn't get married right away because he was like ten years old when Arthur died. Like, right, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> but in the way they did it, they were like, yeah, we probably shouldn't spend time on Henry growing up from ten to seventeen because that might be boring, right? So it's like when they actually are like, let's just get into the thing. That is what, like, draws me in and makes me want to, like, you know, stop in the middle of the episode and be like, oh, I don't know about this period of history. Let me go and Google everything, (laughs) you know? But, yeah, I don't don't like just – and I don't like that in any movie, honestly. I don't like, like, just sitting in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, give me an experience and draw me in and immerse me no matter how ridiculous and fantastical it is. Absolutely. So speaking of – immersing people if you had to explain what a knight's tale is about uh what what is going on in this movie yeah it's about excellence the end no uh it's it's <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's you know it's about a uh it's tell us all this time right uh, uh racks to riches peasant boy who lies about who he is to become a world famous jouster and along the way he finds friendship and love and it's beautiful right like so um it, but the thing that I love about this movie is that they they kind of mix and fuse in, you know. We start off with with we will rock you in like the first ten minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, which let's let's go in in a medieval, you know, film. Um, but yeah, it's it's basically a rags to riches, you know, peasant to to tonight. Spoiler alert! Um, story where we have our laughs, our action, and our love all all massed into two hours. 
Beautiful. I mean, yeah. And this is also, uh, this is an underdog sports movie. Um, just oh, <laughs> set in, oh, in medieval times, which is so wonderful. And I think probably why this movie works so well for mm-hmm. younger audiences. But before we dive in any deeper, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag thisendsatprom or at thisendsatprom. All righty. So another important thing to keep in mind is that this movie is coming out in 2001, and it is a particularly odd time period for teen movies so harmony what kind of like cultural context is this movie coming out in that's a a great question you got there bj um so this is coming out in a a a messy little sweet spot after columbine and before we knew what 9-11 would entail Mm -hmm. so uh, we're dealing with a lot more um i guess i guess smart smart like smarky kind of a teen fair where it's not just earnest like it was in the late 90s. We're now getting more releases like uh, in classic teen fair, something like Sugar and Spice or Ghost World or Josie and the Pussycats or even like a Donnie Darko where it's like, no, fuck school, fuck being a teen. I'm smarter than this. I'm smarter than the rat race I have to live through. And you even saw that in like goofy ways like uh, Wet Hot American Summer where it's like, fuck it, they're not teens, they're full-ass adults. Or not another teen movie where it's like, fuck it, aren't teens stupid? (laughs) And with the exception of like a few outliers, you have maybe Princess Diaries or something like Save the Last Dance. But we're like in a really cynical and snotty period of teen blockbusters and teen film releases. I think that's really interesting. And I do think that, so post Columbine, obviously that's when everything changed for Mm -hmm. sure in terms Mm -hmm. of what teen movies were even allowed to be. And then yes, before 9-11, when then suddenly like nationalism got real cool again. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Oh God. So this is a very odd thing. And there is one movie in particular that came out the week after A Knight's Mm -hmm. Tale that uh, (laughs) just really kicked the kneecaps out of this uh, this film's box office. And uh, that's Shrek. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this is also which... the same year that Black Knight was released. So we really liked, like, <laughs> Middle Ages comedies in this year specifically. Which is like, where did that come from? Like, <laughs> it's, it's one thing to do period pieces in general, but for three movies from very different spectrums of, like, genre coming up the same year is like kind of wild to me. <laughs> you know what I think it is though? Hmm. The other thing that was happening starting in about, I don't know, 98, 99, is that we we were getting the opposite, right? So I know that Romeo and Juliet came out not too long before these, right? So it's like, I mean, even though it's, yeah, it was like a modernized version of something super old. 
Same thing with um, O, which I think came out in like 2000, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Modernized something super, super old, you know? So what if they were just like in the pitch room? Yo, what if we did that, but like made the old thing old, but cool? Yeah. Because we made the old thing new and cool. Can we make the old thing still old and cool? I think that's a really good point because a lot of the teen movies that came out in, you know, the golden year of 1999, I mean, 10 Things I Hate About You, that's Taming of the Shrew. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Later on around this time, we're going to get like, she's the man and that's Mm -hmm. Twelfth Night. So, I mean, even Clueless, Clueless is Emma. So these are all things that happen around this time. Oh, was Othello. Yeah, Oh, was Othello. (laughs) Yeah, so like, and obviously Romeo plus Juliet just is Romeo and Juliet. So this was a big thing happening. And I was thinking really hard, like, you know, why did we immediately have this big push into medieval and this old school thing? I think it's a direct response to kind of this futuristic push that we got with things like the Matrix, Mm -hmm. because we got really obsessed with like future tech and cyber stuff. And there of course has to be a pendulum swing where it's like, yeah, that's cool. You go over there with your ones and zeros and green glow Mm -hmm. and black leather. We're going to go back to the middle ages. And I think that might also be part of it. Either way, it's just a weird time period. Mm -hmm. And all the period pieces we had like before then, I feel like we're like, war movies yeah so many freaking war movies between like 99 and 2003 oh god yeah definitely like and we're only gonna get way more war movies in the 2000s because of 9-11 but if i may propose a left field theory that through the 90s uh, specifically the earlier half of the 90s as is most things that i blame with what's going on in the world uh I, i blame disney because you have all these kids who grew up on like comedy uh, mm-hmm. period pieces like Beauty and the Beast or yeah. um, Aladdin or Little Mermaid. Like these are uh, anachronistic, fun depictions of like a thousand years ago in some cases. And those kids are now 10 years older. And Shrek yeah. in particular is a lampoon of fairy tales. <laughs> so yes. I wouldn't rule it out that it's like, I don't know, let's capture this this Disney demographic, especially now that Disney's mo- movies have taken like a sharp downturn as they try to do like Atlantis and Titan AE and go into the future. Poor babies. <laughs> <laughs> and something else to keep in mind, too, is we are also getting out of what I would say is kind of a golden era of sports movies, because mm-hmm. this is when like the entire 90s is just riddled with sports movies and some of the best sports movies. And uh, when A Night's Tale was made, it's based on, like it was inspired by a book that was talking about just jousting and how jousting was essentially like the sports of that day. And then of course they threw in like the Canterbury Tales, Night's Tale, Chaucerisms of all of it to make this movie and then adding the anachronistic music. And obviously we will absolutely have an entire discussion dedicated to Shannon Sossaman's <laughs> wardrobe um, oh, yeah. and how that just gets crazier as the movie goes on. Um, but I think that this is like a great jumping off point into like why this movie existed and how it happened. Um, but Let's start off with our our leading man, our Mr. William Thatcher, played, you know, just effortlessly by Heath Ledger. Uh, Something I did find out in doing my research is that pretty much Heath Ledger was like the guy for this. They really didn't think about anyone else. Mm -hmm. There was one other actor they considered, and it was Paul Walker. 
And the only reason huh. they didn't is because they were afraid he was just too American and like wouldn't be able to bring kind of like that heightened, I you know, just like that air that comes whenever you do yeah. like a period piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, wow, what a weird movie that would have been. Oh, not to like. I mean, they, they tried it right after that. Not long after that. Because he was in that one movie. Here's the thing. I've watched way too many movies, guys. Um, <laughs> he was in that one movie. It came out either a year later or a few years later called Timeline. Oh, where my God. That's right. They, you remember? And they, they like, time traveled back to the past. I mean, he wasn't British or anything. He was, like, an American dude in medieval times, and no one thought that was strange. But, you know, um, he, he did it. They tried it. And, I mean, when you watch that, it's like, yeah. I mean, it could just be that Heath Ledger's burning into our minds. But, like, you watch that, and you're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would have bought it. I mean, I don't know. not to I don't know if I would have <laughs> not to knock the the range of the late Paul Walker, but if he's playing like the all American caricature himbo in Pleasantville, I don't know mm-hmm. if he can be like medieval British. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also like. Th- okay, this is gonna sound shitty, and I'm fully aware that this is gonna sound shitty. He also doesn't have a face to me that I'm like, yeah, you could be the son of a peasant. Like, it just, it's too no. cute and too pretty. And there is, like, this rugged sex appeal of Heath Ledger where mm-hmm. I can look at him and think either, like, yes, you are a prince or, yes, you do have gross matted hair and you kind of look like you could be the son of a peasant. This tracks for me. Oh like, my God. he's I'm a shapeshifter in that way. Christ, you know that's you know that you're speaking my language. <laughs> I don't know why that's my brand of man, but it is. <laughs> well, I mean, full disclosure, Jess and I had a conversation off air just about Jeremy Allen White oh my God. on the bear and shameless because that's just what he looks like. I'd, I'd risk it all. I would. I would risk it all, and uh, there would be you wouldn't. I there, no notes. There are no notes. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about like kind of a a well jaw chiseled. Boy with fingernails, you know are dirty. <laughs> I need therapy. <laughs> Don't we all? Good news. I, we're in it. <laughs> yeah. So as a character, though, uh, Jess, what is it about William Thatcher that you think just like really drew all of us in when this movie came out? I think even for, because let's be real. So critics wise, I, I don't really care about critics, but like, that what that was kind of the barometer still is barometer of like is something going to be successful blah 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 this has a 59 percent on rotten tomatoes now granted i am 90 percent of that 59 percent but <laughs> <laughs> but no it has a 59 percent on rotten tomatoes and the thing that would get a movie through that's just like in i guess in critics eyes kind of okay is one thing it's charm and he is a very charming character like from the very beginning you he's not even really doing anything you've got watt back there like trying to wake up the knight that's died right and he's just like he kind of leans over to hide the body he's just got this adorable smile he gives the guard and that's the first time we see him he's got this super rugged disgusting looking beard and this long hair Mm -hmm. but there's just something under it that's just like you're charming like i kind of want you to be okay man like you know and i think that is the thing he pulls us in from the moment we see him and from that moment we, we were rooting for him and we never stopped because he, he has that charm that just carries through the entire film. No, my dearest Jocelyn, better. Uh, I miss you. Oh, hold, uh, was that wrong? Well, it, 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 it's up to you, really. Um, uh, it's your funeral. I mean, let her. Say something about her breasts. 
Yeah, you miss her breasts. Her breasts? Yes, you, you could, um, uh, but I, I would tend to look above her breasts, William. I, I miss her throat? Uh, still higher, really, towards the heavens. The moon, at least. Her breasts were not that impressive. <laughs> the moon? The moon? It is strange to think. I haven't seen you since a month. I have seen the new moon, but not you. I have seen sunsets and sunrises, but nothing of your beautiful face. It's very good, William. Specifically with his first set of armor that he has, like you can only see his eyes, but you can see more of them than with his second set. Um, and you just see those and I go, I turn to BJ and go, you know, you can't see any of his face, but you just look at that little like slit of a man peeking out through that tin can. You go, those are the eyes of a pretty man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there is something so effortlessly charming about him in that. Like, so for those who have not listened to our episode on 10 Things I Hate About You, we're quite critical of that movie. Oh, and long term listeners, yes. Especially uh, his character, his Patrick Verona. So, again, like, that's another period piece for him, just a mm-hmm. modern period piece. Um, but he is so captivating that even though I hate that character and like the, what mm-hmm. the writing has given him to do. I can't help but like root for him because he's just so charismatic. And something that I thought was really funny in doing some research is uh, Variety did a big piece on A Knight's Tale to celebrate its 20th anniversary. And they were talking about when they cast him and he shows up and they're like, so why did you want to do the role? And he's like, I get to ride a horse. I get to joust. I get to sword fight. I get to have a romance. I get to be insane. And I get to dance. So he was really, really in on it. And the best part is he shows up to have these meetings and he's got this big tube, like something that like an architect or an artist would keep their paintings in. And finally, at the end of it, when they're like, okay, yeah, this is the guy. They're like, hey, man, so what's in that thing? And he goes, oh, this? It's my didgeridoo. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which like I don't I know it. I don't know why that makes him even more endearing to me, but thinking <laughs> about going to like an extremely important meeting to get a job and you're like casually carrying around a didgeridoo, <sighs> that that's some that's some king behavior. He's very yeah. Australian. I love it. That that just I actually did not know that. I I freaking Oh my god. I'm over here like smiling your ears. It's great. <laughs> it's just it's just so sweet and just so sweet. And I guess he also played it in the restaurant. <laughs> Which again, <laughs> king shit. <laughs> like, it is. You have to be the most bold person in the world to like it's one thing to bust out a guitar at a house party, but a didgeridoo in a Los Angeles restaurant like no one can tell you nothing. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I love that. <laughs> so just you mentioned that he has kind of like a little band of of merry men. Um, oh so I would love to hear like how you, I guess, classify all these guys and, and, and lady um, they, and they are, how they work for you. They are us, right? They're misfits. They're misfits <laughs> who make it. You know, and that's 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 so '90s. I know, and it's amazing. You know, we've got we've got Roland, who's who's been there since he was you know a kid, played by the wonderful um, Mark Addy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got um, Wyatt, <laughs> who's the hothead, right? This is like every every single 
teen movie we've ever had, right? Like you've got you've got your 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 dad figure, right? Your dad, the dad of the group of the friend group, mm-hmm. and you have your hothead, you know, and that's that's what. And then you know we have Kate who comes in later, which you know I think it's actually one of the more underrated entrances of that movie mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. is when he meets when he meets Kate when he's doing all the armor stuff and because her face when. She's like, oh, they say I couldn't do it because they're a woman. He's like, no, they're like, you're good with horseshoes, but you just, you can't do armor. They didn't even talk about you being a woman. She like, she makes this face and she like goes over there and she just snatches it away. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> one of the, one of my favorite interests ever, you know? And it's, I think even though she was, you know, didn't have a, a huge role in the movie, I think um, there was this kind of heart and, and quietness that I really liked. And I liked the way they would subtly drop things about were misfits in there, you know, like when they were all doing the love letter thing. Mm-hmm that was that's that that's like the the thing of like okay this is these are our people these are this is our we love them like protect protect at all costs <laughs> you know when they were all giving their little tidbits about love like i know hers it was like the small little let's throw it in there about her husband who had died or whatever but i'm still hopeful about love because that's what he wanted you know um and even there's a moment where I think Roland, you can see how many times I've seen this movie, Jesus Christ, where Roland's like, you know, are you a blacksmith or a woman? She's like, sometimes I'm both, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just, they're just a little Mary Ben of misfits. And then we've got, you know, Jeff, Jeffrey Chaucer, um, and played by Paul Bettany, who is just otherworldly in this. And I think honestly, still to this day, I think it's one of his best roles. Agreed uh, completely. Extravagant. <laughs> heart and soul completely into that. Again, I would say that is arguably the best entrance in the entire movie of him just like walking down the street naked and dirty and beat up and just being like, what's up guys? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it, yeah, it's just a little merry band of mitzvahs who you just, you want them to win because at their very core, they are the genuinest and more pure, most purest of people who all want this one person to succeed, not for themselves, but for him. Yeah. I, I love this group so much. And I think you're right. Like they do fall into a lot of those kind of teen movie friend group archetypes. And then at the same time, like this again is every sports movie ever made. These are our bad news bears. These are our Mm -hmm. mighty ducks. These are our people who for all intents and purposes should not prevail. Like Mm -hmm. everything is stacked against them and yet they're able to make it work. And there's something so endearing about that. You can't help but cheer for them. And it really is such an amazing group of people because you have Mark Addy, who is this like classically trained Shakespearean Mm -hmm. actor, which a lot of people don't know because in Mm -hmm. America, a lot of people are like, that's the guy from The Full Monty or that's the guy from that (laughs) Kevin James style sitcom Still Standing or he's from Flintstone. Yeah. Or if you're like me, you're like, oh, that's the butler from Down to Earth. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, why is that a thing I know? Because that's how my brain works. There um, it is. <laughs> but he does bring like a little bit of regalness to it because of his background. And then you get Alan Tudyk. And this is before Alan Tudyk became like the Alan Tudyk that we know today, like before he was, you know, a Star Wars mm-hmm. person. Um, right. And then, of course, Paul Bettany, who at this point in his career had done an ass load of theater and some TV in the UK. But this is like his big Hollywood premiere. And wow, what an entrance, because he is Mm -hmm. unbelievable. (laughs) He is. Oh, my God. Like, who else could no one else could play him? He's amazing. He is so uh, captivating and so committed to hyping up his dude. Um, (laughs) Like everything about him feels like, I don't know, a, a medieval car salesman. Like he, he could sell he, the, the phrase of he could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. 
because he just has really pretty words. Like, oh, he is absolutely captivating. So good. And it's, you know, it's crazy. It's even, there are some moments, because I mean, and I'm sure we'll get to this later, but like the last 20 minutes of this movie, I'm just sobbing the entire time um, because it has everything (laughs) I need and more in life. And it's just everything. And I just was. But there's this small moment that actually almost like, it's like, you know, when, you know, when you're like, when you have a movie like that, where like the last 30, 40 minutes or whatever, you're just sobbing the whole time, but you do have these tiny little pockets of, of reprieve, you know? And for me, it was like that scene in the stocks where it's like, okay, we've got the, we've got the prince talking and everything and we know something's good happening. And then like, it's not the fact that he got knighted in that moment. It's the fact that like they cut to Paul Bettany's face and he, he like closed his eyes in that moment as soon as he said, Sir William. And I'm just like, from that one <laughs> tiny Paul Bettany, like facial motion. And I'm like, this man, listen, you're just, he's just otherworldly. He really is. And something that I found interesting in doing this research, again, all of this is coming from the Variety 20-Year Remembrance. It's also an interview with the director, Brian Helgeland. Mm -hmm. He wanted Paul Bettany from the start, and he knew he was going to have to fight for him because the Mm -hmm. studio, uh, this would be Columbia Pictures, they wanted Joaquin Phoenix. And he's like, look, I'll meet Mm -hmm. with the guy. But oh I don't want him. I want Paul Bettany. And they were like, no one knows who that guy is. And he's like, you got to trust me on this. This is the guy. And uh, as history would show, he was the guy. Yeah, absolutely. It's, that's, uh, th- those are always the most interesting stories to me. It's almost like, you know, the Marvel what if thing. Like, what if Jeffrey Chaucer was Joaquin Phoenix? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I'm sure he would have been good because Joaquin Phoenix is a great actor. But there's just something about, you know, the, 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 the right level of flame, you know, sparking the revolution. You know what I mean? Like Paul uh-huh. Bettany just, it, that was his role. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know, I know a lot of different actors would have done great in that role, but like that was Paul Bettany's role. Totally. And that's something we talk about pretty often on the show is that there is a huge difference between being a bad actor and being miscast Mm -hmm. in that sometimes you can be the best actor in the world. Like no one is going to doubt the fact that Sir Anthony Hopkins and Meryl Streep and Denzel Washington are incredible. Would any of them really fit in any of these roles? Probably fucking not. And that has nothing to do with them being bad actors. That has anything to do with, like, it's just not the role for you. So I totally agree with you. Joaquin Phoenix, that would have been a really interesting choice. I'm sure he would have had a lot of fun with it. But Paul Bettany. (laughs) Man. I I think there's a sensitivity to him. Joaquin Phoenix seems a little bit too much of, like, a burly guy to me. Mm. And I don't think he has, like, the muso, uh, like, poet vibes. Yeah. Yeah. You need you yeah. need a little bit of like no, some soft boy energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so something else that I want to bring up before we dive into you know other themes and plot points is like you said, A Night's Tale has mixed reviews from critics. Um, so something not super chill was done by Columbia Pictures when this movie came out, and it is that for this movie and um, the animal with Rob Schneider. Part of the marketing oh. department at Columbia invented a film critic that doesn't exist. So that way they could have like the pull quote on a poster that they wanted for their materials. And that is really unethical for a number of reasons. Mm. But the problem is that when it's done for something like The Animal with Rob Schneider, okay, we get it. No one in their mind was saying like an instant classic or like whatever bullshit right. they made up for it. 
but you know, like you would make something up for it because they probably needed it because they probably didn't get anything. But attributing True. a false quote to a Knight's Tale, I think, really hurt this movie because it made it seem like, oh, this movie isn't good. They had to make up a quote for it when that's not mm. the case. The movie is good. They just wanted specifically a poll quote talking about how Heath Ledger's like the new leading man, which he is. He's fantastic. But they, you know, kind of did something not chill and uh, did not tell anybody on the on the movie side of things. So, like, the director had no idea until it happened. Um mm. And that it hurt the movie. And I think that that is a huge bummer because A Night's Tale is quite a good movie. And I also think that people just weren't ready for the anachronistic style of it. I don't think people knew it to make sense of it. Because um, in this interview, they were talking to Hedgeland and they were like, people love Bridgerton. And he's like, yeah, it's really interesting that they love Bridgerton, but they hated A Night's Tale and it's doing kind of the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, it walks so Bridgerton could run. I say that all the time to people. Totally. Stuff like that, anything that <laughs> Sir Boz did, right? Like, they, <laughs> they, these things walked so things like Bridgerton could run. I mean, we see a lot of that nowadays. It's, it's, it's a case of uh, movies, I feel like, being, well, not being made before their time, because I'm so glad that's literally a piece of, of my cinematic history, right, is, is having a night's tale growing up. But if that movie was made today, it would, it would have been, like, one of the biggest hits Mm -hmm, period. Mm -hmm. I, I I will stand by that 100% because, you know, not only, you know, you think about you the music and everything, but historically speaking, they did an amazing job, just like the, the video game series Assassin's Creed of like, bringing in his fiction into history. Like, you know, you have Prince Edward, you have the Black Prince of Wales in there. Um, this took place not long after the Black Plague and the way that like the society was built, you saw the the after effects of the uh, after effects of that. Um, the battle that salty, the saltiest bitch in the world, Adamar, went to, that's a real battle that he <laughs> went to, right? Like, oh, I know we're going to talk about him. <laughs> um, even even the fact of, like, the way he becomes a knight was, excuse me, I'm sniffing a little bit, but uh, the way he becomes a knight where it's like, where you're kind of like, did he actually have personal historians who say that or is he just saying that because he's a prince and he can say that? Like, that's a real thing. A lot of people got their titles because some royal was like, yeah, I had my people, like, look into their stuff and, like, they're royal. Y'all just don't know. Like, I know. So they're royal. Like, chill. You know what I mean? So, like, that they did pay a lot of attention to detail and it made the fiction mix in with the historical very, very well which is why i think it worked really well as a period piece um that's my that's my history soapbox i'm stepping (laughs) no but i think that you're right and i also think that people really showed their ass and that they didn't pay attention in in history class because i read a couple of reviews from when this came out and people were talking about um i guess like the 2001 version of like uh they kind of pushed a little bit of a woke agenda but obviously they didn't have that phrase for it yet (laughs) Because people right. were talking about Kate, so Laura Fraser's character being a blacksmith, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Why was there a lady blacksmith?" And it's like, "Cause that happened a lot." Because there were lady blacksmiths. Because there were lady their, blacksmiths. Because thirty to thirty to sixty percent of England's population died to the Black Death. Like somebody had to do it. Like, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's the other thing. There was also a war going on, and that's that's. That's his. That's war in general. Like you see a lot of women taking up jobs that the men do because the men are fighting, and they have to have armor. They have to have these things. So women take up these jobs. That's you know even even the Chaucer thing. I forgot to say like there was a period of time. I think it was something like eight or nine years or something where Chaucer like disappeared. 
<laughs> and this is kind of in that time period, actually. So in a way, they're even kind of alluding to like, yeah, this is during this period of time. And, you know, he comes back and he can't he has this heroic story. And now we've got the Canterbury tale. You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> it's so cool that they they pay that much attention to stuff. But yeah, I I, I have had many a heated argument about my beautiful blacksmith, Kate. Um, and I've defended women as badasses in history. Mm -hmm. And I will do it until I'm blue in the face. <laughs> I salute your service. <laughs> but like, as, as far as the um, as far as the history goes, like this is a sports movie, and something that I appreciate is that um, for some reason I don't know where I picked it up. I know the rules of jousting. Don't know why. Oh. So we're watching oh. it. And I was like, oh, he got him in the head. Like a beginning and absolutely understanding <laughs> it. But like twenty minutes later, they actually explain how like the scoring system works, mm -hmm. and you kind of need to establish those rules because it's not like, you know, baseball where people mostly know how to play baseball or at least like know the rudimentary like fundamentals of how it works. Mm. They actually had to explain jousting. Otherwise it's like, why don't they just hit him in the head all the time? Like, why don't, right. I don't get it. Like, why does the Lance explode in magnificent fashion every single time? <laughs> uh, because and, yeah, they're even, filled even with, with pasta that. noodles. That's why they pasta. explode exactly. beautifully. Pasta. Every Such single a good time. practical <laughs> effect. I screamed like pasta. Adam, like, you know, I think there was a moment where they like called him fearless, you know, when Adamar was trying to get with uh, a woman way out of his league. God damn it. Way out of all of our leagues, let's be real. Uh, <laughs> Shannon Sossaman. But anyway, <sighs> we were talking about the whole fearless thing, you know, and he was like talking about how like, yeah, at the very end, a lot of a lot of jousters will like raise their heads just because splinters are still a thing. Like, it's something you don't think about, but when they explain it to you, you're like, yeah, of course you would do that. Like that 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 sounds smart. And of course, someone like William Thatcher wouldn't do that, right? Because he he's not a knight. He doesn't know how to do this thing. Mm -hmm. Just He's self-taught. So I think those even kind of details, which we see, again, in all sports movies, when you have the underdog come in and he doesn't know the game like the rest of the people do. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's super cool. There's no rule that says a dog can't be jousting. Eh? Eh? <laughs> You'll joust your so, eye out, kid. That's not a sports so, movie. I just wanted to make the reference. So you mentioned uh, Salty's Bitch on the Earth. And yeah, let's talk about... Uh, Mr. Count Adamar, son of Giles and whatever other shit he's going to claim. So first off, he was almost Daniel Craig. I'm actually very okay with that. Of all of the alternative Whoa. possible casting decisions, I'm like, wait a second, that would have ruled. Um, but I love Rufus Sewell in this. Yeah, he's yeah. such a piece of shit. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then And then we have like the scar effect when we get older, you know? Of being like, but he's so good at being bad, <laughs> you know? Because uh, I think I, I think I had rewatched this like a week or two ago, um, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, I'm attracted to this. I, I have problems, um, <laughs> but no, he he really is. He's so salty, and it's just like, but you get it right because there's there's got to be something in this person who can look across and almost sniff out peasant. You know, mm -hmm. and so even if he thinks he's some tiny country person who inherited a knighthood because he owns a 12 foot castle, you know what I mean? Like there's something in that that's just like, you should not beat me. And I'm going to make sure that you not only not only I'm going to make sure you don't beat me, but I'll make sure you literally never feel worthy again. And there's just I think that's the approach they took with Adamar to like really try to beat this dude down and take everything for what he's worth. And by the time, you know, 
that moment happens where he turns him in or whatever. I mean, the hatred you feel like when when he's when he's gloating, when he's in the cell, the hatred you feel. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm just like at every turn. I'm like, why are you so petty? You know, he tries to because it doesn't work a few times. Right. Like it doesn't work a few times when he tries to talk shit about him, about, you know, you know, not not lowering his head. And, and Shannon Tossman's like, oh, a true hunter. <laughs> and, you know, and then, you know, or, or later on when he when he shows, you know, I think it's the same match, actually, where he like does the draw thing um, for at the time, quote unquote, Koval. And, you know, she's like, oh, he shows mercy. He's like, mercy's weakness. Nah, you don't want a merciful guy. He's weak. You want someone ruthless, you know, and it doesn't work. And the same thing with with the dance party. He's trying to embarrass him. But then in the way he walks out of that scene, I'm like, this man is acting the shit off of this guy. <laughs> like he's so he's so pissed right now. And I have to like stop for a minute and be like, wait, he's an actor. But like, come on. He he's did, did like he let her say something to him before they called action. Like, is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> he's so he's so salty. He's the saltiest bitch ever. With so many movies like set during this period or in like a fantasy film like this, like, you know, you think of like a Humperdinck and Princess Bride where it's like you loved it. Like a, a snooty noble is just so easy to hate. Like oh. inherent, like they already did half the work of just the archetype by making you hate them. <laughs> but like, oh my goodness, he's so good at just being absolutely vile, especially because in this like a sports movie way where he's cheating over and over and over again while also bragging oh. like, There's, you could never beat me. I'm clearly better than you. But he has to like knock him down pegs in order to like have his like golf handicap be on the same level. It's ridiculous. He's like, but you're cheating though. Are you better? Like... Is is this the barometer for better? But then again, he's you know, smarter. He's he he compares he compares William to an anvil, which I think is to imply yeah. that he's like a blunt instrument, right? <laughs> and then and then and then on the flip side, you know, you gotta be like, oh my god, he hits like a hammer, ah! <laughs> you know. And so it's a, it's an interesting dichotomy that I feel like they hit on really subtly, like throughout the movie. I think it's super cool. Each other again, Sir Ulrich, and at the World Championship, as I promised you before, Adamar. You will look up at me from the flat of your back. Let the past die. You've done well in my absence, on the field and off, so I'm told. Winning trophies, horses, women. Do you put them in that order? Generally, with a few exceptions. Beautiful, isn't she? A real thoroughbred trophy, don't you think? You speak of Jocelyn like she is a target. Isn't she? No. She is the arrow. What I also love about his character, too, in terms of, like, teen cinema and how this becomes accessible to teenage audiences is there is no difference between like Count Adamar and Steph McKee in Pretty in Pink. They're both oh, just yeah. entitled rich boys who mm -hmm. think that their shit doesn't stink and think that everyone is beneath them because they're not as rich or as like macho as they are. Like this is just like medieval toxic masculinity. Like that's who <laughs> this guy is. So even if you don't know shit all about this time period, you can look at this guy and go, no, I know you. You're, you're a shitty rich guy. I don't like you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like, by the end of this, like, 30 minutes, and, like, we're getting close to the showdown that we've been getting teased 
pretty much like the rematch. Like the the yeah. Rocky Two rematch, we've been getting teased yeah. for like over an hour in this movie, and we're getting up there, and it's getting hype, and we're getting to the climax, and BJ's whispering in my ear, going like, "By the way, like, the, the climax of this movie fucking rules in the most ridiculous '90s sports <laughs> movie way really possible." Does. And I'm like, "Cool, I'm on board." And when they suit up and they're riding, I'm like, "Class warfare, hell yeah!" yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and me, I was like, "All right, I gotta rewind," and I'm still sobbing. Wait a minute. <laughs> So before we get into that climax, though, I wanted to save her for like an entire special realm. Just Shannon Sossaman as Jocelyn. So this is her breakthrough feature film. She had done some music videos, did a little bit of TV here and there. But the casting director famously found her DJing at a party for Gwyneth Paltrow, which is the most like Hollywood ass story that you can think Literally. of. But like, Literally. how do you not look at Shannon Sossaman and go, you're a fucking star. Like yeah. that casting director, kudos. You knew what you were doing, but just tell me your feelings about Jocelyn. I'm going to take half a moment and just breathe because <laughs> <sighs> like, you know, the thing is this, I, I can tell. And I think this is something about like my aesthetic that I was like, you know what? There was something about that aggressively feminine, yet there's something very masculine in you that's very amazing. But that part makes you sexier in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think they took her aesthetic and they they merged that with the character versus trying to make her something else. Mm-hmm. And that worked out for this movie in the best freaking way. Like she has such a unique aesthetic like this it's just very her mm-hmm. you know it's very um eccentric it's very but it's still again it's it, it does hit all the stereotypical hollywood notes that'll get you through the studio notes and they won't change it and you can make it to production right like she has those very like feminine qualities and this beautiful airy voice and she's absolutely gorgeous right but there's this kind of roughness around her in a way that it's it's not even, they're not even trying to like make the character that way. It just kind of exists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very hard to explain, right? It just kind of exists in her aura. And I, I, I am very appreciative to this movie for actually like allowing that to exist. That's the first time I as a 14 year old tomboy ever felt like I had the room to be feminine in my own way. Mm-hmm. And that has that has let that has like carried me all the way through adulthood, right? Like it's so funny, I, BJ. I think I was having this joke with you about like you know I'm kind of revamping my wardrobe and stuff lately, and I'm like, yeah, it's like tomboy chic, you know what I mean? Like you know, <laughs> and it's like it's because of characters, it's because of characters like that. So that that's that's point number one, you know, of just her aesthetic is just so unique. There's no one else like her, and I, I think that movie just. You you have a standout human being, and like if you're not a star, what is wrong with everyone else? Like seriously, um, the character herself, I really love the mix between autonomy and like that like traditional. <laughs> I'm a damsel. Like it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I think it was there's the 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 co-host Cammy from Catfish. Just stick with me here. <laughs> but like, <laughs> the co-host of Catfish Cammy. There was one. There was one thing. It was so funny. She, they they were clearly helping out a guy who was like, you know, a bit of a, a bit a bit of a fuckboy, definitely a bit of a fuckboy, right? 
And he's like, yeah, I don't know what it is about this girl. Like I call her and she doesn't immediately pick up and blah, blah, blah. And Kami was like, that's right, because we give you nothing. <laughs> we give you nothing because it feeds into that masculine, very carnal of I'm going to pursue this woman. Right. But when we first meet her, she's very much like, I mean, yeah, OK, cool. You're going to try to do all this poetic language to me, but I really don't give a fuck. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, now you can get shashayed out of here on your horse in this cathedral. But, um, you know, but then at the same time, when she is like falling for him, she's like, no, I'm going to make you pursue me, though. I want you to woo me but you're gonna woo me on my terms. And I think I freaking love every bit of that. Um, so the character of Jocelyn I love, and then obviously I know we're gonna talk about the costumes. Oh my God, yes. So you had mentioned something about this balance of like, there's femininity, but there's also such like an apparent masculinity to a lot mm -hmm. of her presentation. And mm -hmm. something that I noticed is that when she is wearing clothing that leans more femme, that is when her hair is like the most spiky. It's when oh God, the yes. shapes that they're building with her hair look more aggressive. But then when she's wearing clothing that's like very angular and has like very sharp lines, her hair mm -hmm. tends to be a little bit more feminine with like curls or there's like glitter or something added to it. Mm -hmm. And so that balance was so, it, it's in just the shapes that they put on her and the coloring that mm -hmm. they put on her, which I think is really interesting. And I also love that when we first meet her, she's in what is, you know, the most like traditional of all of her yeah. costumes. And then just as the the movie progresses, her clothing gets more and more an anachronistic. Mm -hmm. But it never feels out of place in this world because they've established yeah. the world really well. Like you said, you know, it, it opens with them doing We Will Rock You. And it's important that it's not just a needle drop. Like it's part of it. Like they are mm -hmm. cheering it and chanting it like the characters are doing it. So freaking cool. It's so cool. And something that I th find so beautiful is they have kind of like a traditional like dance scene um, because it wouldn't be a teen movie without everybody knowing a choreographed dance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so they do. And what I found really beautiful is a uh, culture critic, Anthony Lane, who writes for The New Yorker, when David Bowie passed away, he referred to A Knight's Tale's use of golden years as the best and most honest use of anachronism that I know of. And yes. I agree completely. Like, it's just Shannon Sossaman just demanding the whole room to do the dance that mm -hmm. she wants to do. And it's to David Bowie and everybody looks awesome as hell. And the choreography is this beautiful blending of like very traditional dance with very contemporary styling and, and kind of attitude behind it. And I think that's what makes her so fucking cool is that it is that perfect blend. And it's all, it's also like the other, like the, the, I think it's a couple of things. You made like a couple of points that I was like, yes, yes, yes. But like with her, with her costume, I get really excited about this movie, but like with, with her costumes, like, you know, I had a conversation not long ago with a friend because I literally, this, this movie is, is my period piece Bible. Um, but like it, it, it's a very interesting shift on gaze, I think, because the thing is, I even, we are seeing this from his gaze, even, so it is technically from a male gaze. But we're also seeing how that evolves when you're in a relationship with another human being, right? When he first sees her, it's a, this very, it's, it's, she's an angel. He sees an angel, mm -hmm. right? She's in all white. She's all covered up. He like, it's almost like a nun trots. outfit. Yeah. He trots inside a freaking cathedral and sees this woman and try to talk to this woman. Right. But as it goes along, yes, her, her outfits are getting a lot more kind of out there. But the thing is, I think he's just actually seeing her for who she is more and more and more. Mm-hmm. So we're actually evolving with his gaze, which I think is a really cool way to do it. And then like the other point of like, 
thinking about you know our teen our teen dance dance number is they flipped um they flip a lot of the norms right we see him being giddy with his with his with his guys over the girl mm-hmm. that's like still not something we really saw a whole lot even if it were rom-coms we we never really got to see guys being like oh my god like she's she kid that means she kissed me like what <laughs> you know what i mean like that means she likes me and then even in that scene it's her coming to save the day like he's the one sitting there you know with his dick in his hand proverbially and like not knowing what to do and then she comes walking in and it's like no 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 everyone listen let's make this cool oh yeah and like i think that's so cool yeah because like we talked about how obviously uh he, william is very charming that's like his best mm-hmm. trait aside from just being like very capable at fighting and jousting um <laughs> shannon sossman just in every role is cool and I think that fits for, like, where she came from in this and then where we would see her in, like, some more subsequent roles. Like, um, the next year she's in 40 Days and 40 Nights. She has the feeling oh, yeah. of not necessarily a star, like she is, but it feels more specifically like an it girl in that yeah. she is cool and she is powerful and she is commanding and everyone in the room is drawn to her. Mm-hmm. And, like, she is of, like, you know, noble blood. And she is, like, this is her world. And he's more of, like, a fish out of water as, like, a fake noble with a fake name. So, like, she comes in and saves him. But also, like, she's taming, like, a wild stallion in that scene, basically. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. trying real hard to be, like, you know, a show pony and do his little trots. But, like, he's fumbling. And she's like, oh, I will I will break this horse. And he is mine. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love it. Oh my god. I do too. I feel like there is a trifecta as I was thinking about it of like, I mean, we talk about the Josie haircut on this podcast a lot, but there is a trifecta of if you were like a white girl who was really like alternative but wanted to still be pretty, you went to your cost cutters with a picture of Rachel Lee Cook, a picture of Shannon Sossaman, or the brunette from Tattoo. Like those were the three is I was like, I want this short, spiky, hot girl haircut Mm-hmm. And that it just is that. That's <laughs> just what I it is. Because, love it. because Shannon Sosman is just, you're right. She's so effortlessly cool and yeah. composed and very much in control. And I mean, like, you have that wonderful line from her where it's like, I'd rather be, you know, a, a girl with a flower than a silly boy with a horse and a stick. I and you're know. just like, Ugh. I was like, damn, Daniel. <laughs> tell him. You tell him, girl. I'm sitting here like my popcorn, like, that's right, girl. You shall him. Yeah, you know I mean, like, golly. And mind you, in, when she says that, she's also wearing my favorite of her dresses in the whole movie, <laughs> where it's the black one that's like sheer and like oh, super duper deep down that the deep front. V. I yeah. am obsessed with this dress. I want this dress. Oh, it probably won't look <laughs> nearly as good on me, back. but I want it. Nah, we, we need to bring that back. We all just need to split it down the middle. We just pick a dress. <laughs> and we just need to bring it back. We're going to bring it back. We're bringing back the Night Tale style. Themed party. Theme we're going to have the... Do not, don't not threaten me with a good time. <laughs> I mean, I already said when we were watching this where I'm like, BJ, where's the closest medieval times? Like 45 <laughs> minutes? Cool, that's where I want to go for my birthday next year. I want to go to medieval <laughs> times, tournament and games, and then go somewhere and get shit hammered. <laughs> I'll do you one better. I'm planning on doing that for my birthday this year. So oh, let's go. When's your birthday? Ooh, let's go. <laughs> it's in October. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm down to go like three Z's on this dress. We'll just have like a sisterhood of the traveling Shannon Sossaman dress. Like yes. I'm Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. <laughs> Shannon, if you're listening to this, I am a filmmaker. And I love you. <laughs> and Shannon, it, if you're so listening good to, see to this her on the podcast twice this year too. 
Oh, yeah, I was not expecting we did, to see her again. We did her for wrist cutters. cutters. What other movie did you do? Wrist cutters? Oh, God, I love wrist cutters. Yeah, we did wrist cutters for her birthday. It was one of those things where we're starting to keep track a little bit more of the people who appear multiple times on the show. And I was like, Ooh. you know, Shannon Sosman might end up being like a sleeper hit who comes in here and like ends up in a lot more movies than we think she's going to. Um, so, yeah. you know, we got that going. I think that that's, that's something to keep so mindful long. of. It holds up. Does it? Oh, I yeah. Didn't watch oh, it. it's so good. <laughs> Freaking love that movie. Uh, tell me your name, woman. And what would you do with my name, Sir Hunter? Call me a fox, for that is all I am to you. A fox? Oh, then a fox you shall be until I find your name. My foxy lady. Oh. <laughs> He's a handsome hunter, I give him that. <laughs> Does this not shock you, ladies? Certainly, my lord. <laughs> I, I just, I only laugh just to keep from weeping. Beauty is such a curse. Pray your years come swiftly. Pray your beauty fades that you may better serve God. Oh, and I do, my lord. I pray for it all the time. Why, God, did you curse me with this face? So let's head into this this climax, right? So you had mentioned briefly that he does get knighted. Um, something that happens before he gets knighted, which is the thing that, like, rips my heart out and makes me cry, is he reunites with his dad after being oh, separated. Like, beautiful. That's where, that's where the sobbing started and it didn't stop. Oh, my stop. God. Which is, like, this is so much, like, a rags to riches like adventure story kind of mm-hmm. trope of like the reunion with the parent who let you go so that you could do better and be better and you come home and you mm-hmm. are better um but he his his father has since lost his sight and um Christopher Casanova is the actor and he is just so captivating mm-hmm. and the man sobs with his eyes open to to mm. indicate to us, you know, that he he can no longer see. And it is just so touching. And their reunion, like, p- just bury me. It's so beautiful. I'm done. <laughs> I, I can only think on, like, very, very few instances where I see a father be so happy and, like, just overflowing with joy and pride in his mm. son like it is like these men are crying. Men don't cry in like right. non-period pieces ever. So like this is like an a special like this is a special anomaly and it is beautiful. Like he changed his stars. He followed his feet. And I feel like especially in period pieces they don't really cry. I mean recently, yes. I think mm-hmm. I think the shift for me, I feel like it started around the Tudors is when mm-hmm. we started to see a little more sensitivity in with men in period pieces, but like before the, before then no i mean they they it's the same thing like you're you're a period man you 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 survived without in a world without technology you're the toughest man of course you don't cry right mm-hmm. but I, I think the other thing is they teed it up so well i feel like they could have very easily put the um this the the flashback of of him turning turning william over mm-hmm. i think they could have they could have easily put that at the beginning of the movie and bookended it Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that they put it in such close succession with the scene where they're reunited was actually a brilliant move because we were teed up for it. We knew how important it was for him to come home, but 
when we see that his dad didn't just like abandon him and we we already feel for his dad like and it hasn't been far removed in the movie where we see how like hard it was for his dad to let him go but knowing that it's going to be a better life it really makes that i feel like more impactful because we're already like teed up for it and yeah that moment was you know you could even see again credit to heath ledger as well you could see like the hesitation on his face to be like i'm so he was a little boy again coming mm -hmm. home and it was like i'm so like nervous to tell my dad i made it like and i i and, and then there was like the wonder of the fact that his dad was still there and living right you know, he, he he actually came home his dad didn't move down the street or anything like he actually came home and i think that that just uh, that's where my waterworks started and they just didn't stop <laughs> <laughs> and i think you're right i think that the decision to put that moment so close to it and not at the beginning was such a smart choice because had they put that in the beginning, I would have spent the entire movie waiting for that reunion to happen. Mm -hmm. But when it comes in the middle, it's like, oh, that's just additional information that I've been given. You don't expect them to immediately have that reunion happen. So I think that it is really, really smart and it does help the emotional impact. And when we get towards this this climax, of course, our our Rocky two return uh, <laughs> return rematch, um, you know, Jocelyn isn't there at first, and we don't yeah. know why. And as it turns out, she was going to get his dad, which mm -hmm. I think is that is some like grade A girlfriend shit. Like that oh, is yeah. that's a keeper. That is a keeper move for don't sure. Don't fuck it up, William. And uh, <laughs> you know, of course, because it is ultimately it is an underdog story sports movie of course uh we have a uh, saltiest bitch on the earth that's just what i'm gonna call him now um <laughs> we have captain salt here or what is he he's a count count salt um, he cheats of course he files down his his the end of his his joust what is it a jousting the, rod um the they lance. <laughs> yeah the lance thank you jesus i'm just making up words here also let's just call it a jousting rod I'm a jousting rod you just know call it a stick he's just a man with <laughs> a horse a and a stick, stick. exactly <laughs> um but he files it down and uh he punctures ledger uh mm -hmm. like in what i can only imagine is the most painful place humanly possible which is like where your armpit kind of meets your your pectoral muscle mm -hmm. yeah it's like in the joint almost <sighs> Oh, oh like that is going to hurt like hell. Um, he gets a, you know, half of the, the stick in him that, Ugh. you know, then has to be pulled out of him. And oh, that there's no way that that healed nicely. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, so then, of course, uh, as, as Harmony screamed earlier, class warfare, <laughs> um, he takes off all of his armor. He looks like the peasant that he was born and who he's truly been mm -hmm. all along. And uh, they they tie the lance up to his arm and he goes to take him down. There is an amazing line. I think it's I think it's Alan Tudyk's line. You yeah, can correct me on it. But when yeah. he tells him to aim for the Count's heart, he goes, it's a small target, but aim for his heart. <laughs> yeah. What a sick burn it's, that it's is. That one, oh, no, that, that was Roland. Watt, Watt had oh, the other that's one it. where it was like, you know, when Paul Bettany did his delayed speech mm -hmm. and Alan Tudyk was like, hey, that's your name. That's your name. Your father heard that. That's right. Like, oh, <gasps> that moment is so good. Every, everyone, yeah, oh, in the, everyone in this, like, I don't know what is it like your your crew your posse of, of yeah. jousting friends everyone in this little family gets a moment to shine and they all come through in the climax because like obviously like paul bettany's like they're about to charge for like the third round that will knock him yeah. out while they're still strapping the thing to his arm 
And he's mm-hmm. like, ah, no, I will, I will put on a show and buy time. And this is where we get introduced. For, you know, he's not Ulrich anymore. He's William. And it's the most, Ugh. like, people are chanting your name to the point oh, where you God. scream your own name as a battle cry as you fucking uh, bang the saltiest man off his horse. Oh, my God. Just the most 90s moment ever, right? William! Oh, it's magnificent. <laughs> and we were cracking up, too, because it's not even like I am William. This is not I am Spartacus. Yeah. It is just William. William. <laughs> I just, I want to believe that, like, just, just imagine any other sports movie like imagine the mighty ducks or something like that <laughs> emilio estevez just being like bombay yeah <laughs> we got it we got our alternative though flying v <laughs> <laughs> i love it yeah and because it is a movie with excellent poetic justice that mm-hmm. salty bitch becomes salt of the earth and lays oh, on his yeah. ass and mm-hmm. oh it is so nice to see him humbled uh, as he should be, because uh, cheaters never win, and so it is we we get we get uh, William and Jocelyn kissing, and then it turns into like the moon and the stars behind them. It's <laughs> poetic and cheesy, and the graphics don't super hold up, but who fucking cares? Um, <laughs> it is such a lovely ending to this like epic hero's journey tale, and. Yeah, this movie just is so wonderful. <laughs> and then and then we get our very on-brand post-credit scene. There's a post-credit oh, scene? You've never seen the post-credit scene? No, it started scene. auto-playing something else, and I was like, uh, I don't need to watch whatever this there's is. There's a post-credit scene. Talk about the post-credit <laughs> scene for those who may have also been watching it on Stars and got so auto-played. It's, it's very simple, but it's it's our merry bit of misfits minus, you know, William and, and Jocelyn. Uh, so it's it's Kate... Uh, it's Kate, Jeff, Roland, and Watt. They're basically sitting what seems like an open attic door in a pub, maybe? That's kind of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And you see this bartender, like, give them a big drink, and they, like, kind of drink their whatever. <laughs> and then Roland kind of lifts up a little bit, and he farts. <laughs> and then Jeff, he lifts up, and he farts a little bigger. And then Kate lifts up and bar- farts the biggest. And then Watt tries to lift up, and there's a little... <laughs> and then they go, you're out! And that's the post-credit scene. Oh. <laughs> and that is in with that toilet is, humor, baby. That is some real shit that would have happened with like people who were born peasants. Like, oh yeah, hell yeah. What is she gonna do? We ain't watching TV. <laughs> Commoners for life. <laughs> Commoners. For, I'm getting that tattooed on my body somewhere now. Live to be a groundling. <laughs> Yeah. The, the only problem though is that like that's like a comedy troupe so people be like oh are you really into that and it's like no I mean like the literal <laughs> definition of a groundling yeah. <laughs> so I'm just curious if we could like now that we've discussed it we've analyzed it we've kind of broken this apart I'll start with you Harmony like why do you think it is that teenagers gravitated towards this movie because we're the ones who made this movie the money in the rentals so w- what's your theory on this um, well, I mean, is, is it unfair to say that this was mostly bolstered by, like, young girl fans? Not, not a lot of guys probably renting a Knight's Tale? I don't think a lot were. I think this is one of those movies that, like, if you were a guy and watched it, no one's gonna say shit to you, because, like, ultimately, like, it's Knight's, and that's cool. But this was a very popular, like, sleepover movie for girls. Yeah, so mm-hmm. if I had to hazard a guess, it's... It's like almost Shakespearean and it's like theatrics. 
It's a, a it's classic romance. It's a sports movie that makes it inherently very satisfying, but because of like the setting and the circumstances, it's not played out in a ridiculous way where all of these tropes in like especially the last 30 minutes almost come off as like overly cliche because they are extremely fresh in like this particular movie and these circumstances. So I don't know. He Heath Ledger's very handsome. I've I've seen him in, you know, a number of movies and he's probably much much more acclaimed and much better in, you know, other things like, you know, Brokeback Mountain or mm-hmm. The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. I think this might be my favorite version of him though, just because he's pure charming and this seems like much he's really good in those roles but this feels like so much more inherent to who he is and it feels effortlessly and effortless in that way so he he's charming there's great romance it's fun it's satisfying i don't know it just it, it this just feels like a good sleepover movie and Jess how about you why do you think this was so popular with that this particular demographic yeah, I, I agree with all of that and like additionally you know it, it it's very it's very much about seeing like the, the again like not putting any side into a box i think that's it feels good when you're a kid or when you're a teenager mm-hmm. like to see like we were talking about with the shannon sossman thing to see like someone who does want to be wooed and loved and, and and taken care of but who also has their own agency though and that's a, that's an act of choice mm-hmm. that she's making right versus i'm a damsel in distress and i have to be saved or i can't exist absolutely and i think there's something very good and powerful in that to, I, I know, for example, that's a reason like my parents let me watch it because those are the only <laughs> kind of things they wanted me to watch. They wanted me to always feel like I had my own agency and, but that it was okay to lean into the feminine side of myself if I wanted to, you mm-hmm. know? And so I, I think that's something that's really interesting and kind of empowering, but then you have the very, you know, teen thing of, oh my God, it's a strong but sensitive guy please let him snuggle me for life. And it's just, you know, again, to Harmony's point of like, it's just so charming and he's so charming. And, you know, and of course we all know this is my brand of man. Just grimy and and charming for no dang reason. And probably a little tortured. Yeah. Yeah. I need need to call my therapist tomorrow. It's fine. Um, It's fine. I'm fine. This is fine. But... I think, you know, that that is the very, like, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, like, teen girl, everything of, like, give me the strong but charming and sensitive guy who is probably a little tortured. Yeah, and I mean, to kind of build off of what you're saying, it's like, uh, Jocelyn is not a damsel in distress in this. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. like, a real big distinction between this being, like, historically medieval versus it being, like, a medieval fantasy film, like where it's a fairy tale, it's a it's a damsel in distress that needs saving. Like that's not what the story is here. Yeah, and then as a history buff, right? Like mm-hmm. women had zero choice but to have their own agency back then. Like mm-hmm. they literally didn't have a choice. Yes, there were arranged marriages. Yes, guys were saved the girl and shit like that. But like a lot of women in these times, especially not too long after the Black Plague, when there was like no one left in the world ever, um, they had to look. They had to be able to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, and so like even as like a historical person who I, I love, I'm just like, you know, this is great because you've got you've got your ringing your ringing of accuracy here too. Oh yeah, like even as far as like romance is concerned. Um, it's the saltiest bitch on the planet is trying to marry her in like an arranged marriage yeah. sort of setup. And they have this conversation where it's like, well, the poor can marry for love. Mm-hmm. And and if William would not have gotten knighted, Adamar could have stolen her out from under him just, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. because of their titles. And that's something that felt 
as short-lived as that piece of it was, those are really real stakes. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what? I'm feeling this. Let's go. (laughs) So something that I think is really beautiful is that A Knight's Tale has not really waned in popularity. It's obviously changed a bit because rentals are no longer a thing. But the way that this variety piece ended was the director talking about just the longevity of A Knight's Tale. And he says it was probably about 10 years ago that he realized that people still really loved this movie. And he said, it started to dawn on me because it wouldn't go away. Not to make it about money, but in the Writers Guild, you get a residual check for every movie you've ever done. It starts out really nice, and then it just diminishes and diminishes until you're getting checks for like $17. Boy, $17, imagine. (laughs) He goes, but A Knight's Tale never goes down, or it goes down very slowly. So I know that people are still watching it. And then I started to realize when I was junketing for other movies that there was always someone who would bring up A Knight's Tale. And no other movie, just that. Let's put it this way. I get more comments about A Knight's Tale than I do about L.A. Confidential. That's the movie that won him an Oscar, by the way. Um, People want to talk about A Knight's Tale more often. And he even said, you know, people have been talking about wanting a sequel for a very long time. And obviously with the the early passing of Heath Ledger that complicates things a bit. Um, No one's really broached it, but he did say that Paul Bettany came up with a really good idea that he likes. So, you know, maybe if, if the gods allow, we'll get this. But the idea is that uh, Jocelyn and William have a daughter and she wants to get into jousting, but obviously can't because she's a woman. So she can never show her face. So it's like something very similar, but also with her father having passed, um, she needs his crew to come back to train her properly and make her the champion that they did for her father. Mm -hmm. And like that gives me goosebumps in such a beautiful way. And please, for the love of God, someone give them money to make this movie because I want it. (laughs) Listen, Brian, can I call you Brian? I got ideas. (laughs) I got, I got thoughts. I got, I got some thoughts in my head. (laughs) Oh my God. It'd be so perfect. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like those dream come true things that we as filmmakers always want. Yeah. Minor two things. Put me on, well, a few things because I'm a dreamer. Put me on, put me on anything that has to do with Mass Effect, anything that has to do with Assassin's Creed, anything has, that has to do with uh, 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 pirate types, and anything that has to do with like a Knight's Tale. So, Brian, <laughs> listen, call, let like my people can call your people and our people can become best friends. <laughs> All right. That's it. Oh. I love it so much. So, Harmony, the time has come. A Knight's Tale is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying a ticket so they can go on their own? Uh, I'm going to be real with you. I was going into this very skeptical. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had a wonderful time. This this caters to a lot of my specific tastes, all the way down to like the Wicked Dad soundtrack. And <laughs> I had so much fun. So, like, this is it's a big yes. I was, I was very, this was, was, this was wonderful. Hell yeah. <laughs> We've broken the period barrier. <laughs> the thing is, I like period pieces, but you got to speak my language. Like, I love I Army of Darkness. No one would say, like, oh, that's yeah. an all-time great period piece, but I love it. It's amazing. You got to get that, you got to get that dude and skeleton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ben Helsing? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jess, thank you so much for being here and talking about this movie with us. Just, you were absolutely the perfect guest to talk about this movie. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. No, I've, I've, I'm a big fan of, of your podcast. And Aww. so this is, this is, this is fun. This is fun for me. And I'm just a big fan of you as a human being. And I want everyone who listens to us to also be a big fan of you. So where can people find you and your work and anything that you're doing that you want people to check out? You can find me on Twitter and IG at uh, Jess, V as in Victoria, Carson. Um, you can find me on Twitch. I'm a streamer at Jess is a mess three because I am a mess. And it's three because Jess is a mess was taken by a non-streamer. But we won't get into that. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter at all. Uh, but Jess is a mess three. You can find me on Twitch. I stream like four or five days a week. Um, and sometimes I will stream things like Assassin's Creed and go just as crazy as I do about thing historical things as I do with a Knight's Tale. So, you know, <laughs> come holler at me. Um, and then, yeah, I, uh, I write for The Flash. You can, you can find me, um, find my name, I guess, <laughs> on episodes every now and then. So, yeah. Beautiful. Friends, as always, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And just, I am just so excited to hang out with you at Medieval Times or otherwise in the very near yes, future. Please, <laughs> please. <laughs> I mean, we've been trying to make this happen for a bit now. Oh, oh, it's it's been it's been on my mind for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool band do you want people to check out this week that are inspired by A Knight's Tale? Oh, there's just so many options. Like, because we've got a distinctive, like, 70s rock vibe, I really wanted to get something that would encapsulate that. And unfortunately, a lot of my favorite bands that sound like that haven't really put out music in the last, like, 10 years. Um, like, <laughs> I would love to, I would love for this slot to go to the Canadian band Pride Tiger, but they stopped making music 15 years ago. So that's heartbreaking. They basically <laughs> sound like Thin Lizzy. They're awesome. So, as far as someone like contemporary who can actually benefit from, you know, a modern shout out, I want to give that spot to the band The Dirty Nil, like N I L. And uh, they're more of like a, like a dirty skate punk rendition of classic rock. Like, they do a really killer cover of Surrender by Cheap Trick, which is exactly what you think that kind of a version of Surrender is going to sound like, and it rules. But they also released one of my favorite albums of last year called Fuck Art, and it's <laughs> got stupendous, th uh, some of the songs on it are stupendous, like One More and The Bill, which is basically like, fuck it, I'm just going to drink and deal with everything tomorrow. I don't want to put up with more bullshit. Um, Blunt Force Concussion, Doom Boy, Elvis 77, all like, modern punk and like gritty rock and roll music without being like overtly bro-y and still having like good classic rock sensibilities. Awesome. All right, friends, that takes us out on A Night's Tale. Thank you as always for listening. And remember, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye.
blunt. He's pissed. He'll You'll see you in the list. Lichtenstein. Lichtenstein. He's blunt. He's hacked. He comes from Gelderland. He comes from Gelderland. 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 This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.